Hey listeners, guess what you're listening to? Uh, Rush Limbaugh? No, it's Funk Radio. <laughs> um, sorry, before we started recording, we were talking about... Um, God, shut up. <laughs> we were talking about um, Burger King, because neither of us have eaten there in a very long time. I want to say for me, it's been at least six or seven years, if not more. Yeah, I don't know. I might have eaten there once in the last five years or so, um, only because were they the ones who ha- who were pushing those like I don't remember what they called them. They were like a type of French fries, but they're way less bad for you. Oh, they're called like simply fries or simple. I know what you're talking about. I think that was them. Yeah, they're basically like fries with less salt, and so you don't like die prematurely. Yeah, they were actually really good when they had them but did they uh, I don't know I guess my question would be did they taste similar to the um to the fries at In-N-Out because those are fairly healthy mm, I don't know I don't remember <laughs> it was a long time ago because in a Burger King form In-N-Out, In-N-Out can correct me if I'm wrong I'm pretty sure that they fry their fries in vegetable oil which is a lot better than the shit that most places do with their fries in um I don't remember I know Five Guys does it in peanut oil. Yeah. Which is why they're so damn delicious. Uh, and why, if you eat at Five Guys, you die in five years. Now, to be fair, they don't actually have drive throughs so I don't know if they count as fast food. Oh, Five Guys. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. yeah. Mm. But, uh, yeah, Burger King, the only thing I liked about Burger King was they had really good chicken tenders, but then yeah. they changed them to, like, chicken fries, and they, they're, I don't know, their quality got worse, and I didn't eat them anymore. Well, this episode was obviously not brought to you by Burger King. (laughs) Burger King, when do you want to start a war with your colon? (laughs) All right, well, I think now it's time to uh, move. Get on topic? Yes, get on topic. So, Kyle, um, we've talked a little bit before about formats that music come on. Obviously, you know, um, vinyl records is probably the one we've talked about the most, and everybody knows about cds and even cassettes and mp3s and all that um one that we haven't really talked much about although we may have mentioned it a couple times is um eight track tapes and so we wanted to do an episode focusing solely on them kind of uncovering the mystery of why they failed because that's kind of the one of the the jokes of the 70s is the eight track tape i i was gonna say i'll tell you the reason they failed because eight track tapes were the disco of uh, music formats (laughs) that could be true so I wanted to start out the episode a little bit by just going over like kind of quickly what these things were, how they worked, who made them. And then the main part of this episode, um, we're going to talk about the reasons that eight tracks failed, basically, which is like the big thing behind them. Um, we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, but first, I'm going to go through the, the other stuff. So um, obviously they were... Uh, a tracks were a recording systems similar to you know tapes or vinyl what have you they started becoming popular in the mid to late 60s and then by the late 70s like you said they were basically gone much like disco actually um obviously you know we we know this as a as an obsolete technology but actually something i didn't know that at the time it was actually really a great commercial success which you know for things that you look back on and say oh that was so dumb you don't think about it. at the time they were actually very popular and successful um, but mm-hmm. they were, if only for about a decade or so. 
but um and maybe even less than that if it, over time people stopped using them so um so yeah i mean that's that's something i didn't really know about them just off the bat is that they were actually financially a successful endeavor back in the day um i don't know how much do you i wish before i go any further how much do you even know about hx kyle because i know basically before doing research for this episode i knew next to nothing uh i know that they existed and that they were basically like a larger version of cassette tapes Mm -hmm. and by being larger the tape i guess width allowed for supposedly better sound quality i know that they were the first um format that was basically playable in cars yeah i I believe am i right or was it cassettes that were first um no these these this that was a big selling point of v-tracks is okay so that's i was gonna say that's probably a huge selling point just right off the bat is oh my god i don't have to listen to the radio anymore (laughs) um and i know that they were like you said only really around for like a decade before they were fairly quickly replaced by cassettes and CDs. But mm-hmm. uh, that's about it. I know that they were, even nowadays, kind of considered like an inferior format. I mean, I guess we'll get into that a bit later. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I didn't even know that I, much, honestly. Oh, Other, well, I, don't, no, I, I don't know if my dad ever had them. He probably did, did at some point. I mean, if he had a car in the 70s, he probably had a car that played eight tracks. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. Okay. That's all that's I got. Cool. <laughs> So a um, little bit about how 8-tracks work. Um, like you said, that the, the tape itself is actually um, thicker than on, or I guess wider than on uh, cassette tapes. I, I, I want to say pretty much everyone listening, or most people listening to this, are going to know enough about cassette tapes that we can kind of use them for um, comparison. Yeah, those shitty things that always get tangled. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I remember having a bunch of cassettes in the 90s. The crown of my co- cassette collection was the Space Jam soundtrack. <laughs> Awesome. Not even kidding. You still have it? <laughs> yeah, uh, no. Oh. no. I sold it in a garage sale, I'm sure. For 30 cents. Exactly. That's funny. Much like cassette tapes, obviously, there is, there's magnetic tape that's looped around inside of a plastic cartridge. Um, but the tape on the Atrex is a bit wider. It's a quarter inch. I don't know how much the cassettes are. Probably half that. I think they were an eighth of an inch, so yeah, half that. Okay. So on the tape itself were actually eight different parallel soundtracks corresponding to four different stereo programs and basically um since each of these quote-unquote programs was stereo each one of these was two tracks one for the left speaker one for the right so in the end there were four quote-unquote programs which each one of those could hold either one song or multiple songs it really depends on like the length of the tape itself you know let's just say for a second that each program had one song on it then basically an eight track tape would have four songs even though there's okay. eight, eight tracks there's two tracks to a song because they're, yeah they're because there's left and, both the left and the right yeah i guess channel yeah exactly that makes sense um so and i think because um cassette tapes are stereo too but i think it's all just on one thing right i mean it's not like they're all parallel to each other or whatever i mean the left I, and right might be but i believe so i don't know I believe cassettes are kind of considered like pseudo mono, and that's why they were kind of like chintzy. I don't remember. Uh, cassettes were true. so briefly a part of my life that <laughs> basically the only reason cassettes were a part of my life is because as a small child, I had a boombox that only had a cassette player. So yeah, same here. <laughs> basically, I wasn't. I didn't have CDs yet. Indeed. 
Um, so anyway, like I said, like the length of each quote unquote program, as they call them, um, could either hold one song or multiple. It really depends on the length. However, one thing that we're going to get into with the problems of eight tracks in a bit is that each of these programs had were the exact same length. And as we know, it's extremely rare for songs to be the same length. Yeah. So to fit them naturally on these things was kind of an issue. <laughs> and yeah, so that we'll, doesn't sound fun. Yeah. We'll get into that in a little bit. Um, let's see. Uh, I try to figure out what like the length of each of these things was. Um, oh, like the physical, like if you unspool it. No, I'm sorry. I meant like the time length of these. Oh. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't know how much the physical length is. But you I don't think that of. matters. I'm just stupid and like facts like that. <laughs> Um, it seems like it did vary, but um, it seems the forty-five minutes was kind of like the most common type. And correct me if I'm wrong, isn't forty-five minutes generally the length of a vinyl on both sides? Correct. Yeah, yeah. I actually was reading. I found an article on Google Books or something um, from 1972, I think, mm-hmm. that was talking about how they were upgrading both cassettes and eight tracks at the same time um to be from 30 minute 30 to 40 minutes into like 70 to 80 minutes or something and they were talking about how like manufacturers were kind of doing this for both formats at the same time because huh. this was kind of in the middle of the eight track times mm-hmm. so they were still going but you know at this time cassettes were still a thing as well they were kind of in parallel and that's actually kind of one reason why Atrax, I think, died as well. Was that you know why why have two different formats when one when one works better and slightly cheaper? Mm-hmm. Um, so they kind of just start trying to consolidate a bit. Anyway, makes sense. Um, really quick, I this is extremely um, shortened about the history. The history is kind of interesting about like how they came about, but I'm not going to spend you know 20 minutes reading through the whole, entire thing. So, really quickly. Um, kind of the timeline of how these things came about. Um, in 1952, you had the very first endless loop tape cartridge um, designed by Bernard Cusino, and that was used for the radio industry. So basically, oh gosh, what do they call them? I can't remember. Real No, that's movies. No. They had some little name for it, but basically these little tracks or these little tapes um, were often used for like commercials or jingles or something. Like sweepers, sweepers. Exactly, yeah. And then they would just play, you know, these little. That that's how they got all these little sound bites. Is that they had these little tapes and they would just play them. You know, they oh. would stick that into the whatever the radio mm-hmm. thing was. One kind of um, mechanical thing about eight tracks is that they're one continuous loop. So, and we'll get into that ag- again in a, in a few minutes. But um, basically, once you get to the the end of all the music, it starts at the, the very beginning again, which is which, you know, that's kind of cool. That's kind of cool. Um, but I'm assuming that's a good format for like what we were saying, like radio sweepers or something, because they play it once, it stops. And then when they want to play it again, you know, in an hour, it's, it's already at the beginning. Set up. Yeah. That makes sense. So I, I just kind of assume that's why that was set up that way. Mm. Then a little bit later, um, you had this guy named Earl Madman Muntz, who was apparently a famous car <laughs> salesman. Um, one of these. And a famous bowler. Not sorry. There's a movie called Kingpin with a guy named like something months. Oh, okay. It's it stars Woody Harrelson. It's funny. You should watch it. Oh, okay. 
Well, that joke was funny too, Kyle. It was funny in my head. <laughs> <laughs> Just like this whole show. Yes. Um, so he was, I guess, one of these crazy car salesmen on, uh, who got really famous on TV. Eventually, he stopped selling cars and he went into selling his own TVs in his own stores. Um, apparently, he went bankrupt and then not too long after that, kind of made all his money back through hmm. i don't know how but I've, i'm not gonna get into it selling his body maybe maybe, maybe that's that's you know selling tvs and selling your bodies is kind of the same thing <laughs> he just takes out the glass out of the tv and like cuts a hole in the bottom and puts his head through it and like stands on street corners <laughs> give me money i'm on tv <laughs> <laughs> i'm the first televised prostitute so basically what he did is um you know this this uh little tape thing that was being used for the radio um, since the early 50s, he kind of developed his own version of that, which was more commercially viable, you know, that people, everyday people could use. Um, and this had four tracks. And he called this thing the stereo pack. And he and the, this came out in the early 60s. This, this was kind of a precursor to eight tracks, and it, it actually did fairly well in itself as well. Um, but interestingly was that I noticed that it actually mentioned that this particular thing was a contributor to the fall of the ill-fated highway hi-fi, which we did talk about a long time ago on the show. That was the uh, really stupid, like, 45 player that they tried to put in cars, right? Yeah, I'm trying to, it was... Where it was, like, loaded from the bottom and the needle, like, pushes up against the disc from underneath so that supposedly it doesn't skip when, you know, you hit speed bumps and shit. But it did, totally. But um, it totally I'm, sucked anyways. to look up which... Um, I want, want to say it was Buick that put them in their cars. Yeah, uh, Chrysler. Wrong. It was Chrysler. Oh, Chrysler, Buick, same thing. Yeah. Um, yeah, they had... Uh, for I think it was only three or maybe three or four years in the 60s, they had um, vinyl players in, in certain cars. and uh, it, That just sounds like such a terrible idea. It's like <sighs> trying to put a jukebox in your car. Yeah. I mean that's basically how it worked, and it was it didn't work very well, obviously, because it didn't last very long. But mm. um, yeah, I mean, because you were saying that eight tracks were you know big in in the auto industry, and actually this four track precursor kind of led the way toward that. Mm. Um, but then in its final form, the eight track as we know it today, or I guess as we did forty years ago, was developed by William Powell Lear, who is most famous for being the founder of Learjet, which is a uh, an airplane manufacturer of that's pretty funny private luxury planes so mm-hmm. that's cool he or like one someone on his team or something developed like the eight tracks that's kind of cool that is very cool mm-hmm. and the, the reason i say that is because a, a lot of places credit him as the developer but then i saw somewhere else like it was someone working under him mm. so and he took the credit because he's the ceo i i assume so yeah I always thought that's kind of that like how that probably happens very often. It's kind of messed up. Or like, let's say you have a large company, and like some small underling of that company stumbles upon something that's awesome. Like I don't know the guy that invented chicken McNuggets for McDonald's, whatever. <laughs> that guy, like, could have easily made millions of dollars, but because he's just a small cog in a big company's wheel, mm. that idea was very, most likely taken from him. You know by the higher ups and then they make all the money off it. Yeah. I always think that's kind of sad. It is. And that's the reality of things. So I, Truth. again, yeah, I mean, I know, um, apparently the, the connection between the eight tracks and the, 
airplanes thing was that i guess a lot of i'm just going to say it was william powell lear who did this even though it might probably was his underlings but Mm um and for a lot of years he was developing um like audio equipment and stuff for airplanes um and then started going into like the consumer electronics market so his background in that like kind of specific industry led to kind of splitting off into eight tracks and making their own airplanes um, out of eight tracks yes they they taped them together <laughs> he just tapes a bunch of them to his hands and tries to fly <laughs> that was the first prototype <laughs> we're good at history yeah so his design uh, for the eight track was based on Munz's four track um, but obviously it had twice as many tracks on it and developed partially for the direct purpose of using it in cars and airplane stereos so yeah i mean f- pretty much from the beginning the the purpose of the eight track was largely to be played in cars um, yeah, like a portable format basically yeah which at the time was like pretty mind-blowing i think because i mean that was really the first time that music was kind of portable in any sense mm-hmm. um you know because we kind of you know we take it for granted obviously now but you know, back then when vinyl was the only format and unless you had one of these uh, weird Chrysler cars with a crappy, you know, record player in it, it's, it, you know, all you had was a radio and that was it. Mm-hmm. Unless you were sitting at home with your entire collection there. True. So, um, yeah. Do you I think like, kind of okay, cool. so you like, you know how in the 80s guys would walk around with a, with a boom boxes on their shoulder or whatever? Mm-hmm. Do you think like in the 50s and 60s people walked around with like their entire like vinyl cabinet on their shoulder? <laughs> They're like lifting it above their head like Atlas or something. That's funny. I don't know. I mean, how would it be powered? Good question. By the power of funk. Oh yeah. And soul. But funk didn't exist back back then. Soul did. Soul did. So yeah, that that might have been it. I don't know. <laughs> See, we say shit like that, and then people aren't going to believe anything we say. And all the real <laughs> history. Just, just I was just thinking that, like, it, like they don't need to go watch drunk history. They just need to watch like our history. Funk history. <laughs> funk history. Oh boy. Yeah. So that's, so that's kind of a background on how they came about and what they're how they worked a little bit. So now um, that kind of background research was a lot um, kind of me just looking up stuff. But now, Kyle, um, you'll be able to help me with the next yeah. part of this episode. Um, yeah. The reasons it failed. The and, ultimate downfall. Exactly. And I um, I just want to mention really quick that, um, you know, the reasons it failed is basically the same everywhere. But I did find this pretty good article on flashback.com. Uh, called the eight track miracle eight reasons that failed and we're gonna kind of be basing our conversation on that i can take it um so that's my bibliography that's our due diligence for not a copy or not plagiarizing someone else's writing yeah and i actually did i i was very good not to use wikipedia for all at, at all for this episode very yeah very good and here i am on wikipedia looking up eight track tapes i'm bad <laughs> Well, I did use it for like a couple of details and things that I couldn't find anywhere else. I just like I knew I could find it in two seconds if I looked there. But like for general Truth. research, I didn't use it, and I'm I'm proud of myself for that. Good for you. That's yeah, a fun it's always, first. It's a, it's always good when we don't like default to like you know. It's like back in like when you were in high school and your teacher said, "Don't use Wikipedia. It's not a real source." <laughs> 
which I always thought was bullshit. <laughs> but whatever. wasn't there a statistic a couple years ago that said that it's actually like pretty damn it's accurate? Actu- it's actually one of the best sources because it's constantly peer reviewed. Yeah. The second someone puts some shit up that's not true, it's like taken down and corrected. Yeah. Because it's like, what's the word? Crowdsourced? That makes sense? Something like that, yeah. So, so it's actually really accurate. It's just professors didn't like it because basically all your all your needed information was in one spot. Yeah. They're li- they realized that the days of, you know, scouring the library were over. <laughs> I really, really, really hated, especially like later on in high school and even in college, when teachers and professors made you go to the fucking library and get like physical reference books for your reports. It's yeah. like, God damn it, this is why we invented the internet. <laughs> that and porn. <laughs> we invented the internet for porn and to not have to go to the library. <laughs> Sadly, I'm sure there's some truth to that. Yeah, exactly. God. Um, speaking of <laughs> speaking of other sources of information that are unreliable, Punk Radio. Yeah. <laughs> Folk radio. Oh, when I get the connection you're making. Sh- Sorry. Pardon. I Folk realize radio. what you're doing. When you want to hear made-up shit. Um, so yeah, one of the reasons that 8-tracks were um, kind of doomed to fail was as a, I guess, piece of hardware. They were pretty unreliable. They they, they degraded very quickly. Um, the, the, the funny thing is that the tape deck that they're inside was virtually like indestructible like you couldn't snap, break into it or whatever but uh and unlike vinyl you know it didn't melt or crack or whatever or shatter um mm-hmm. but the internal components inside of the tape deck that you know spool the tape and whatever ultimately would fall like break apart or degrade over time so Basically, in buying an 8-track, you knew that you basically got, like, maybe, like, a good couple years of listening out of it before it was, like, done. Yeah, and I suspect that's why they didn't really last more than 10 years, is because the tapes themselves didn't really last more than a few years. Yeah, yeah, you constantly had to replace them, exactly. I mean, say what you want about vinyl, as far as them, like, melting and shit, like, if you Mm. keep them in, like, a not-hot-ass place, like, they'll last for decades. Yeah. (laughs) So... I mean, yeah. I mean, you can still go to stores and get old. I, mean, I have, certain... I have a couple. I have a couple. I kid you not, that are from like the early '60s. Oh wow! So, I mean, that's 50 years. Yeah, and obviously, like, sound is going to degrade over time for other reasons, but it's still that's mm-hmm. still usable. Not like a yeah, track. exactly. You know, they get scratches, they pop, they that that sound just degrade, but it's not like oh shit, it physically doesn't play. <laughs> yeah. You know. Which is which is too bad because eight tracks. I because you were, I think you mentioned this earlier is that they were actually better sound quality than cassettes, and yeah. I think that was kind yeah. of one of its selling points. You know, and, and then the tape itself was was good quality and it didn't break, but just the other pieces inside of it allowed you mm-hmm. to basically not play it. True, which and is kind of the downfall, which is a shame. I guess I guess too. You know, if if it wasn't bad enough that the internal components of the tape deck were fragile. There's always the fear that your car stereo or eight track player is going to eat your tape. Really, anything, any, I gotta say, anything involving tapes is fucked. Cassettes, VHS, eight tracks. At some point, they make a device that eats them. I, I couldn't tell you how many times my little TV ate my VHS tapes, 
or my boombox got my cassettes all tangled because it, you know, didn't come out right. And then you got to wind it back with like a pen or something. Oh, yeah. So it's not just eight tracks that did that. It was just they were the first. (laughs) Yeah, and I I think that's um, probably part of the reason that they kind of went down to is that this article may have said something about that at some point, but um, that it wasn't necessarily that they were the worst of, you know, all tape formats, but they were just a really, they were the first popular one. And a lot of the kinks got worked out after that. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of the problems with eight tracks translated over to cassettes. It's just that because cassettes were more portable and way cheaper, people overlooked those. I guess. Yeah, exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, one thing that cassettes I d- didn't have, I don't know how they ended up fixing this, I guess we can research later, mm. is, as Peter mentioned before in the episode, the uh, inno- the annoying song Fade Out, where the 8-track had a specific, I guess, timeline on each track, yeah. and if a song was over or under that, when it would switch to the next loop or track, whatever the song would then fade out and fade back in. And often, annoyingly, this would happen at, like, the best part of the song, the guitar <laughs> solo, the, the chorus, whatever. Yeah. Um, so because songs are never, ever, ever in equal length, it would end up splitting songs into two parts, which people would be like, what the hell, they think a song is over, and then it's not. It yeah. really confused a lot of people. I, I'm sure it did, and it's... um. I was also looking at uh, discogs.com, which has like the track listings for like basically every, you know, al- album music you can think of in the history mm-hmm. of everything. But they also have all the eight tracks. So I was looking through the track listings of some of those, and it's f- funny to see that a lot of the tracks will be like this song name part one, and then like another track will be like the song name part two or mm-hmm. continued, which basically means that they were cut in half at that point. Oh, that makes sense. And what's funny too, as we discussed in a, a in an earlier episode about song length, songs in the in the seventies were really fucking long. So that probably just made that worse. I mean, yeah, it was probably better in the sixties when songs were a bit shorter. Exactly, and it kind of worked a bit better. But I, yeah, you're right. As songs got longer, like you know, you, you got your Pink Floyd, your uh, your Funkadelic, your uh, Led Zeppelin. Yeah. All of them had like seven minute songs. So I know. So actually, yeah, like here's one example, like the Commodores. So remember earlier listeners, I was saying how there's four different um, programs on each, on each tape. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm looking at the Commodores greatest hits. Um, program one had brick house, sweet love. Then the beginning of too hot to trot. And then it switched over to pro- program two, which is the rest of too hot to trot. Then this is your life. Then easy, then the beginning of Fancy Dancer. Mm. Program four was the end of Fancy Dancer. Just to be close to you. Then Slippery When Wet. And then that one, they timed it out, so it worked okay. Cool. And then the fourth program was Machine Gun and Three Times a Lady. Didn't, and I, I might be stupid here, didn't cassettes have a similar problem where you had to like flip the tape over and the, sometimes the song would go from one side to another? I never experienced, oh, okay. So I have, an, I have a good answer for you there, actually. Um, I never personally um, experienced that where a song was halfway between two sides like that. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, you did have to flip over cassettes 
But I think the reason you didn't really have that problem with those is because since they matched, they had two distinct sides and they matched the vinyl. The oh. vinyl usually has the first and second side of the album. So it kind of times out correctly gotcha. on both sides. Yeah. Or like at the very worst, there'd be like a five second silent gap before you had to flip it over. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. That makes sense. That um, makes sense. I'm not saying it never happened. I just never experienced that personally. In, the the yeah. only way I could see that happening is if a song was more than one entire side, and that'd have to be like a twenty minute song. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. I was going to say we got a little off track there, but actually, probably not. Speaking of bit. getting off track, I'm going to jump to one of the other things in this list. Um, mm-hmm. I want to touch on this one in particular. So, because you have eight parallel tracks on one tape, and the little reader is shifting from one bit of the tape to another over the course of the play length mm-hmm. um it when they got misaligned which happened like a lot apparently um then it would be playing pieces of the wrong tracks together hmm. like it may be playing like a left side of one song and then the right side of another song or oh, like weird. or not even that that dramatic and you know it may be like you know 80 percent of the correct song and then 20% in the background, you could kind of hear like one of the other songs because all these songs are, you know, side by side on the tape. And when the reader was off, it would be trying to play part of a different song that wasn't supposed to be playing. Um, so apparently that was a big problem with these. And I'd never even thought about that as being an yeah, issue. That, def- that definitely was never a problem with cassettes that I ever noticed. That's right. really funny because they were, there was more linear. I think that they were one after the other rather than side by side. Hmm. So yeah, that's that I can see that being really annoying. Yeah, another thing that I would definitely find annoying, although it, it wasn't really that much better on cassettes, uh although you could do it, is mm. rewinding on eight tracks. Basically you couldn't do it. Right. Yeah, like I was saying earlier how they were one continuous loop. Mm-hmm. Um apparently this did not allow you to rewind or presumably fast forward, I assume. Um so you basically just had to Play it for, even, forward, and that was kind of your only option. Here's a question. Could you even select the tracks, or is it like a vinyl where you'd kind of just let it play? Well, even on vinyl, uh, you can kind of select the tracks, right? Yeah, yeah, you can, like, drop the needle. In the right spot. Uh, but I I always associated eight tracks with, oh, it's eight tracks of music. You can select one of eight. <laughs> but maybe I'm totally That's, wrong. Both of those things are, apparently, according to all this, it's all incorrect, because, for one, it can be more or less than eight tracks, depending on more or less than eight songs i should say mm-hmm. um but also you can't really choose what song you're playing it's it's like a cassette that can't be rewound it's you just can play it and you can't change like what song you're listening to at any given time that's a shame to my knowledge they i mean if they're complaining that you can't rewind you'd think that it would be a counterpoint like well at least you could like switch to a song right away like yeah, like you exactly. can on the cd for example Exactly. Um, but I don't think that was a feature because I, I didn't read about that anywhere. Huh. Um, I guess that was a big thing about CDs, though, was that that was kind of the first time that you could jump from song to song really easily. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, people people were probably just satisfied with the idea of portability that they didn't care about, you know, selectability, I guess. Oh, yeah. I mean, you could probably compare that to, like... Um, you know, the first iPod or something where it's like, wow, we can hold 30 songs. That's amazing. 
or the shuffle or whatever. Yeah. Whereas now, you know, they hold millions of songs and you know, anything less than that would be weird. Yeah. But when, you know, when it first came out, it'd be like, Oh wow, that's awesome. So yeah, I'm, I'm sure it was probably a similar thing. They didn't even think that of the concept of switching between songs. I True. assume. So yeah, bleed. You got bleed through. You got the inability to rewind or really fast forward. Hmm. Um, oh, another thing that's actually pretty interesting about eight tracks is they actually kind of brought up the first instance of copyright infringement because eight oh, tracks yeah. were so easy to record on. People would often make bootleg tapes of um, music. Mm-hmm. They would, you know, record. They would play something from something else, say a vinyl or another 8-track, and record it onto a blank 8-track mm-hmm. and sell that or give, pass it to their friends. Because you couldn't, you couldn't easily boot like a vinyl. Um, right. I, I, I want to say I've seen it done on YouTube. Like It, it involved like dipping a vinyl in wax and creating almost like a cast of it. And just oh, wow. Crap. So was that complicated? I didn't even think about yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I mean, obviously that was a big thing with CD or... Well, CDs too, I guess. <laughs> um, with cassettes, you know, obviously, I think that was a pretty big thing because you I mean you can. I think you could still, you know, get blank tapes. <laughs> okay, funny side. Maybe funny, not. I don't know. God. Funny, I guess, memory of Kyle. Hmm. When I was a kid, remember how I said I had a boombox with a cassette player? Yeah. Well, that boombox had two uh, tape decks, so I could play on one and record to another, hmm. and that boombox also had a microphone so me in my adorable stupid wisdom would record songs from that i liked from one cassette to another and in between the songs i would dj oh that's awesome and just be like and the song we have coming up next is i don't know britney spears or some stupid 90 shit space jam yeah exactly and i would make like little mixtapes of like different songs I liked from different cassettes mm. with me talking in between them. I was dumb. That's really cool. That was, that I mean, was I'm like sure the, like a lot of people did that as kids. I'm, that was yeah. like the first DJ funky Kyle. So that, that, that was the very beginnings of funk radio. Exactly. That's really funny. Except it was, pro- it was with terrible music. It was like, you know, Christina Aguilera and bewitched and in <laughs> sync and stupid shit like that. And, and yes, space jam. Probably. I do remember I had the Titanic soundtrack. Nice. Which I liked for some reason. I'm wondering how many tapes that was on. Like five. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just the entire sound of the movie. It's just nothing but people screaming and water <laughs> coming up next. More people die. <laughs> After that, Space Jam. <laughs> <laughs> Terrible. That, that's that's interesting, though. I didn't know that Funk Radio started so many years ago. So, so early, yeah. yeah. Um, what were you saying about... Oh, yeah, recording. So uh, something this article said, I believe, if I remember correctly, um, was that, again, it wasn't that eight tracks um, were worse than tapes and that you could record on them. It was They were just kind of the first ones to do it. So since that was a new concept to record labels, I, I guess they got kind of pissed off at eight tracks and stopped making them. Mm. And that's an extreme uh, simplification of what probably happened. But um, you know, it it seems like by the time cassettes were really the standard, I think record companies kind of got used to that idea. Mm. Whereas with eight tracks, they were kind of a more new problem, I guess. True. Anyway. Something I wanted to bring up 
um, in here was that they talked about keeping large collections of these of these tapes mm-hmm. and how you know as we said earlier like they were basically indestructible the plastic part was but I guess the labels or the stickers were kind of bad quality so they would kind of peel off and get stained and look gross after a while yeah and I, they kind of compared it to you know having a collection of vinyls and I know obviously that's something you do I don't know if you have any experiences I mean, the, related to that. The labels on the vinyl itself don't peel off. I mean, the case, the sleeves kind of wear after a while, but I've never had problems with the labels themselves. Hmm. Well, Mostly because it's not like the needle is going on that label. or And usually if it's in a sleeve, it's not exposed. Right. But uh, So yeah, I guess, I guess I mean, apparently people who had big 8-track collections, they look kind of janky right. after a while. Yeah, well, I mean, you think about it. You keep it in your car. You're constantly shoving it in and out of it like a little hole. Eventually, the the label is going to get worn. It's going to get baked in the sun. Mm. It's just, it's like VHS. Remember VHS? VHS tapes always look like shit after a while. That's true. Yeah. Except That's for the ones that printed the stuff like on the plastic itself. Yeah, and exactly. Then they never degraded ever. And not on the the tape itself. But yeah, I mean, yeah. 8-Track, that's just it. 8-Tracks didn't have, like, a case that you put it in when you were done. It was just That's there. true, yeah. Even cassettes had those little plastic cases. Oh, yeah. <laughs> those are cool. Uh, speaking of cassettes, uh, I guess, I know I mentioned this earlier, but yeah. I think that's kind of that's kind of the biggest reason that 8-Tracks failed was yeah. they evolved coinciding with cassette tapes and cassette tapes despite having similar problems were far cheaper um and didn't have some of the problems of eight tracks and you could actually select songs i mean i guess well by by means of fast forwarding or, or rewinding. by means of fast exactly yeah. yeah sorry thank you for clarifying so it it didn't have some of the problems that eight tracks did it was cheaper Granted, the sound quality wasn't as great, but if you're if you're playing a portable medium, that's not your main concern, anyways. Your main concern is portability, right? And mm-hmm. I, I think probably the average person could, probably couldn't even really care less. Exactly, you know that, or even know what it, you know, what the sound difference is. Exactly. So you know, it's no issue to them. Only to real like audio files, are they going to really care? I mean, hell, MP3s probably sound worse than cassettes, but because they're so infinitesimally portable no one cares right the type of mp3s you buy anywhere like 98 percent of the time they're gonna be sounding fine yeah the only bad mp3s I've, i remember hearing is like some that were like really really compressed i think they were like 44 megabits per second or whatever or no 44 kilobits not megabits megabits is a lot hmm. um or ones that you try to rip off youtube and they end up compressing the already compressed youtube audio and uh, it sounds yeah. like super shitty yeah I, those always sound bad to me, but that's that's about it. I've never, I've like I remember actually there was a website where they take six songs and they play an MP3 and then they play like a completely lossless flack mm-hmm. version back to back, but you don't know which is playing first, yeah. and you have to select which you think is which. I only got like three out of six, <laughs> and like I listened to vinyl all day, and I still couldn't tell. Huh. So yeah, I mean, I, I guess it kind of. You know, one good selling point of the cassettes then is because I think you said they might have been mono or pseudo mono or something, but I don't, I don't, remember if I don't remember exactly if they were or not. But I mean, you know, if they sound basically the same, 
to everybody. And they're even if they're just a little bit cheaper, like I think people are going to go toward that. And if they don't break, I mean, cassettes aren't perfect. You know, we you you talked about how the, they get eaten too and everything, mm-hmm. and they do do great over time, but not not in a couple of years. I mean, exactly, it takes a lot longer. Yeah, I mean, the worst thing that happens to cassette is it gets like it in like irre, irre, irreparably tangled. Yeah, where you can't just wind it back, then you're kind of fucked. <laughs> but or if you just play it over and over for eons and it's going to get so garbled it's not usable anymore but yeah yeah, yeah. but again cassettes even even in the 90s where they like they were definitely less than cds they're like five dollars oh yeah i mean part probably part of the like mechanically speaking probably part of the reason they last longer too is i don't think they really have any moving parts other than like the wheels yeah that i can think really. of um whereas a-tracks i think were a little bit more complex yeah, I mean, I I saw the internals of one, and it looked a bit a fair, bit more complex, or I guess pulleys or something, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it, it, I think anytime, isn't kind of a rule like the more moving parts a thing has, like it's exponentially yeah. more apt to break. Yeah, that's why cell phones die after two years, because it's like millions of moving parts. All those little cogs and wheels and pulleys. Yeah, in your cell, in your in your it, cell phone. All the little midget children inside your cell phone making it work. <laughs> so terrible. Oh, gosh. You think that was love powering your iPhone? <laughs> I actually did pull up Wikipedia now, so I guess I'm undoing oh, all the good. Shame. But they have a section on the 8-track page about comparisons with the, the compact cassette. Oh. And I was just looking to see if there was anything else that we missed. Um, it does say that one con of the cassette is that its tape speed is, was, is half the speed of a track, which means theoretically it will produce lower sound quality. So I guess that's a reason too. Mm. is it, it plays slower. I mean that obviously the sound, the song sounds basically the same, but the, the physical mm-hmm. speed of it is slower. Um, and I know that seemed to be a kind of a, a selling point with the a tracks is that the, tr- the tape actually went pretty fast, but I don't really know much about that. It said it actually required greater mechanical complexity of the player. Probably because the player had to like fit in those little two grooves in the cassette and spin them. Whereas the 8-track, right. I think that kind of did it all itself. Like It was all internal, if that made sense. Yeah, and probably a bit of the moving parts that we were talking about that are not in cassette tapes, I'm sure they kind of just got moved to the players instead. Exactly, yeah. So cassette players probably died a lot. I'm sure, I'm sure mm. mine did after a while. No, that's true. Um, but yeah, I mean, for the most part, yeah, I think we basically covered everything, so I don't even need to use this page, really. Yay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, that kind of kind of covers the main points of why these things died and what they were all about. Um, I certainly learned a lot from doing the research here. Yeah, I, I knew very little about 8-tracks other than they were like a short-lived format that kind of got replaced by CDs and cassettes yeah um one last thing to touch on um i was hoping to add into this discussion like oh i was kind of wondering like what were like if there was anything that was like a big release on a track you know when it first came out or something i have no idea um i looked into that there's really nothing on that basically they were kind of the same they treated the same as vinyl or you know eventually cassette as well no one made a big deal about it being released on a track it was just it was just it was just it was just there it wasn't like Oh, this album sold, you know, a million copies on 8-Track or something. I mean, it might have, but yeah. that wasn't, like, 
it wasn't any more than on a different one. Like, 8-tracks never surpassed the sale of vinyl as a format, as a total sales format. Yeah, I guess that's kind of what I was hoping to find, but it didn't really outsell anything. It was just That kind of makes sense. (laughs) I was going to make a really stupid comparison to... um, Do you remember in the... I want to say it was the late 90s, possibly the early 2000s, like literally right before the advent of the iPod, they had these things called hit clips... Oh, yeah. There were these little tiny yeah. digital songs. I want to say it wasn't even the full song. It was like no. I think they were. All that they was the do, point. Like, they were just clips of them. Yeah, and you put it in this tiny little player, and you could listen to it. And it was like the biggest fucking deal for like four months. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's like, "Oh my god, this is the next thing in music." And then Steve Jobs was like, "Fuck you, iPod." <laughs> and everyone's like, "Oh my god." Why have 12 clips of different songs when you can have you can, four full songs? Which is funny because I want to say the first iPod, I kid you not, was like one gig. Let me look that up. I'm actually kind of... Was it even that? Uh, I don't think it was even that big. The very first... Oh, wow. The very first iPod that came out came in a 5 and 10 gigabyte version. Really? I'm That's actually pretty damn big. For wait, what? Like 2000? Wait, what were they? 5 and... 5 and 10. Huh. I mean, ten gigabytes—that's easily two or three thousand songs. I mean, I have an iPod. I what is it? A four iPod Touch four S or something, maybe. Yeah. And that's only eight gig. You know, and that so that and then that was multiple versions after that. So that's funny that kind of from the beginning they're already on par with that, more True. or less. Yeah, hmm. it says here the first generation was five and ten. Second was ten and twenty. Fourth was 20 and 40. 40 is a lot. 40 is huge. Wow, yeah. Um, and then they came out with the Mini, which was obviously, I think, four. Uh, yeah, and yeah, And yeah. they came out with... I think the Mini kind of started that advent of smaller sizes. You know, you had the Nano, you had the, all the yeah. different variations of the Nano, and they were always like, you know, four, six, four, eight, and 16. And then yeah. you had the Touch, which is 16, 32, 64, and now even cell phones are still 16, 32, 64. Um, so it's funny that yeah, the first yeah. iPod wasn't really that far off. Yeah, that was, that's interesting. That was 2001. That's insane. That's, I mean, fuck, computers. Yeah. Computer, like, the entire hard drive on a computer in 2001 was probably 40 gigs, if that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, sorry, I'm going on, I'm going down tech lane here. There was a but, uh, connection, but I don't remember. Uh, I was trying to make a connection between hit clips oh, yeah. being, cru- being crushed by the iPod and eight tracks being crushed by CDs and cassettes to a lesser form. Because when CDs came out in the early eighties, everyone was like, Holy motherfuck, This is like the future. Yeah. Cause it wasn't tape. It was lasers and shit, and digital shit. You know, it's funny. So. Cause I was, my parents always told me that when CDs first were being advertised, that they were saying that you could like toss them around like Frisbees and they wouldn't be destroyed. Yeah, which and is, now they shatter like crazy. Which is funny because like they scratch really easily. <laughs> that is funny. I remember my dad when he was uh, in his early twenties. He worked at like a like an audio tech store. Mm. They sold TVs and stuff too. But this is back in the eighties when people didn't want smaller shit. They wanted everything to be fucking gigantic. Yeah. And he said <laughs> he said around the holidays people would spend literally thousands of dollars on like this insane te- like audio system. With like a receiver and a CD player and a CD changer and all this shit, 
just to play CDs. And now we think of CDs as such a a blase kind of you know old format. And yeah. Thirty years ago, people are dropping multiple G's to play them. That's funny. Yeah, it's it's funny because I think, and I think we've discussed this before, but we'll just say it really quick. Is that like back then? It seems like music was much more of like a social experience, whereas now it's an extremely personal experience with headphones yeah, and stuff. Yeah, exactly. People bought that shit so they can invite all their friends over, and listen to music, and be like, "Look at my awesome shit! I'm better than you." Whereas now it's everyone's kind of plugged into their own little worlds. Yeah, it's kind of sad. Everyone's it's it's seriously it's turning into Waltley. Everyone's staring at their phone and hmm. sitting in a chair. Well, listeners. I think you should unplug from funk radio and go live the life that you were meant to live. Please take an hour or two. Play outside once every day. <laughs> this has been a I'm, I'm this has been a PSA from fat ass Kyle Storm. I'm going I'm to tell my boss that now. I, I have to p- go play outside once a day for an hour. You'll <laughs> be like, fine, do it on your lunch break. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> that's funny you just like raise your hand your boss is like what I have to go play outside now <laughs> oh god Wait, don't just be like when's recess <laughs> oh my god I want to do that at a job just to see what they do <laughs> oh Jesus that's really funny but seriously listeners if you're sitting with your headphones in your own little world listening to phone radio then we encourage you to go um, connect with people physically, but however that may mean for you listeners. Yes, we also encourage make the making of love. That is something we encourage every day. Mm. Burns calories, and it and and if you want to do it outdoors, you can. <laughs> Although we don't recommend it, unless that's your thing. Anyway, um, so if you want to tell us about the time that you made love outside, tell us on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> or don't <laughs> please don't no do it'll be funny um, at facebook.com slash get your funk you can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes if you still use iTunes for podcasts I personally don't but if you want to it's there just search for funk radio in the podcast section you can also follow us on SoundCloud um, all of our episodes get uploaded there first I think basically before anywhere else now um, but also you're, you're able to like, and, and comment there and we'll, we'll obviously see it if you, if you say something on our tracks there. So that's the thing. Yay. Um, I think that's most of it. We're also on overmental.com. We kind of have to, well, we don't have to say it, but we do because that's, um, kind of the platform, not platform, what they call it. Network community. That's probably the best word where this podcast exists. Yay. Thanks for listening, and we hope you listen again. This has been your host, Kyle. And this has been your host, Peter. Badly do, badly boo. Bonk. <laughs> <laughs>